episode of the Streaking the Lawn podcast, uh, a special non-emergency, but you know, sort of ties into that, that last one. Zach's with me today, not not the rest of the blog <laughs> as we had with Broncos' uh, sudden departure from the Who's. But uh, welcome, Zach. Thanks for joining me. Of course, happy to be here. Big day. Yeah, man. Just getting off uh, new coach Tony Elliott's introductory presser here in Charlottesville. Uh, Zach, you attended the press here, and I'm sure there's lots of ways to uh, find, you know, detailed notes on it. Uh, but if, if someone's listening and it doesn't want to find those ways, I think we should run through uh, some of the stuff you learned about the new coach or just what, what he's bringing uh, to his introduction to the position and to the UVA uh, fan base. Uh, how is Coach Elliot? Yeah, I mean, I think that um, just in terms of like, vibe reading you know as, as the kids say Elliot is is UVA like he's he's so ridiculously UVA and I mean I tweeted after two minutes of the press conference it's like they just hired Tony Bennett of the football world and I, I'm not saying success wise I just mean in terms of a press conference I don't know if you could get more Bennett like and and I just say that because you know Bennett's a standard um, you know, obviously very rooted in his faith, very, very, you know, family, absolutely critical for him. Um, you know, at one point, I think he said, happy wife, happy life, maybe two or three times and emphasized the importance of the fact that there are three Chick-fil-A's in Charlottesville now for his sons and a target. Um, oh, wow. So, you know, he was, he was uh, not, not, not to get into trivial things, but, you know, he was, he's very rooted, um, you know, very grounded, very down to earth guy. And, and he also is funny. And I know that that, that might not be something, obviously nobody really cares about that necessarily, but just from a press conference point of view, he was re- really comfortable there. There was no sort of like, you know, lights are too bright for him or anything. Um, and so I think that that was good to see. Um, he emphasized in terms of like recruiting, he talked about the Commonwealth being a priority, talking about relationships, um, old school there a little bit, acknowledged some of the success that Virginia players or, you know, players from the, the Commonwealth of Virginia have had at Clemson, how successful they've been there, um, the importance he places there. Um, and then, you know, obviously he talked about, um, you know, being at such a prestigious school and matching that with building a football program that is a national contender. And he, he was not shy to sort of emphasize that that is the goal that he wants to make. I think at one point he said he wanted to make UVA the model of a football program um, in the country as being sort of that, you know, prestigious school that is also a national contender. And obviously that's just talk and, and, you know, there's, there's no way that you can really, um, you know, necessarily expect that as of this moment by any means, but coming from a guy who comes from Clemson, who has that experience of being a part of a program that is that standard in college football, maybe not the academic standard the UVA is, but considering that he has that background, it's at least sort of encouraging to hear, or at least like, you know, does spark some hope in that sense that this guy knows what he's talking about and that he's not afraid to sort of come out and say it, you know, he wasn't, you know, he wasn't, he wasn't shy. And and he also just talked about fit, obviously. And, and Carla did as well. Um, talked about how Dabo Sweeney said that UVA is the perfect fit for Tony Elliott and that Dabo over the years told him like, okay, yeah, no, this is not a job that you should be looking at head coaching wise that Dabo was very sort of, I don't want to say involved, but like he, he was very aware of, of Elliott's next step um, as a coach and, and really pointed to, you know, Elliott pointed to Dabo as that guy. Um, the question of cared about his opinion that, that, that exactly, yeah, yeah. exactly. Right. Right. And, 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 you know, it's come out in stories that Dabo, 
saw, you know, or at least I think he released a statement that said he views Elliot as a son. So, you know, there's obviously a, a connect there that is encouraging considering the success that Dabo Sweeney has had at Clemson. Um, the question of facilities came up. Mm-hmm. Elliot was very clear, I think, and in a good way of establishing, like, be grateful for what you got. We're not, you know, making excuses, yada, yada. It's, it, you know, the building a program comes before, you know, what's actually where you're actually building it. Um, and then Carla kind of came over top and mm-hmm. basically slammed the facilities that they have, which was pretty funny just to sort of like see her be like, I am brutally honest. And my staff right, says that right. that is likely a fault, but she said <laughs> that she was brutally honest with Elliot. And honestly, that was probably a bit of a sticking point as we saw those negotiations kind of be very odd with how he came to UVA, then left, then ended up, mm-hmm. the deal ended up happening the next day. I don't, you know, we don't know the details of that necessarily, but um, that was a, a moment from Carla that I think was particularly interesting and definitely kind of came off as like a challenge. They're like, hey, we have Dabo Sweeney's understudy here looking to build this next, you know, this model of college football and our facilities suck. And like, we need, you know, Carla put out a, you know, she made a statement with what she said. And I think that that was probably appreciated by many who, you know, feel that obviously those facilities are not up to par with, with what they, with where they need to be. Um, But all in all, I think Elliot, he didn't say anything wrong. You know, he was, he was very composed. Um, He said all the right things, said all the right things about talking to the team, talking to recruits, obviously with the signing period coming up very soon now. Um, And and also, you know, thanking Bronco for everything that Bronco's done and and acknowledging how special a coach that, that Mendenhall is. And so, I really have no like negative marks on Elliot. Obviously this is just a press conference and there's no real way to assess that um, in terms of tangible wins and losses. But, you know, I think that he, he, he sounded the part and and he came off as a guy who's going to be composed and is going to be a real leader and and somebody that we can get behind as UV fan base. I mean, all you can hope for is that the first steps seem like a good fit, right? <laughs> that would be a big, right. uh, big thing to fumble right. if not. Um, exactly. But I think it's encouraging most everything you you read um, about Coach Elliott coming into the program. I mean, the the semi amusing only negative that i've seen is just anecdotal stuff from clemson fans that i know (laughs) we're we're like you know celebrating his departure which is fine i mean you're always going to be um annoyed with your uh, coaching assistants when you have a down year on one side of the ball or they would say a few down years on, on one side of the ball so it's not it's not necessarily encouraging, but it's certainly, I don't know, you take that with a huge grain of salt, I would say, right. especially knowing that being a head coach is very different <laughs> than being an offensive coordinator, right. play caller. We right. don't know if he's going to call the plays. Um, there's a thousand different things that go into being a head coach that aren't involved with being a good coordinator. So is he going to be good at those things? Obviously we don't know, but a lot of it seems to stem from being a methodical and, clearly intelligent dude those are really good characteristics in a head coach for sure Uh, personable also you know especially when we're trying to play catch up with recruiting or or even if this year's recruiting is a wash even if it's a down year because of coaching turnover just establishing a better recruiting base in the commonwealth 
he seems like a guy who can do that you know um, uh, that's his reputation is is being a strong right. recruiter now does he have a virginia connection um no but hopefully we'll see some of that on staff and honestly it doesn't really matter you don't have to be a 757 guy to be someone that right. the coaches down there are going to connect with and uh you know want to get their players to so and not that we have to recruit the 757 particularly we saw how that works under a <laughs> staff tenure too so i just mean i do appreciate the focus on on virginians and so it is nice for him to uh say that explicitly today but i guess we should back up a little bit and and talk about the weird week that we've had um through this coaching search i mean some of it is the sign of the times you know what, what we've got twitter spaces where where fans can log on and chat with current and former players is sort of a i i mean it's not bad necessarily but it's certainly something that yeah. hasn't existed before like an open audio forum unedited unproctored uncensored right. between where you've got recruits and you know message board fans yeah. and we know there's plenty of those that we don't want talking to our recruits and then you know normal people and reporters and everybody involved in all this just because we're all curious i mean what a what an interesting thing to observe over the past however many days but also it's a weird time for the coaching search um, yeah. to have happen because it's been so out in the open and so sudden. To me, I'm actually a little surprised. Like it came together real quick. It seemed agonizingly yeah. slow. Right. But it's like right. They clearly did their due diligence on a candidate that they tabbed as a top one. And it's okay that he wanted to sleep on it. <laughs> you know, but exactly. Right. Right. And, and I think that like looking back, considering the fact that the Bronco news hit the fan not even two weeks ago, like a week and a half ago, um, it's, you know, obviously names were floated around and things were said and stated and released uh, in the media that I think likely um, spurred on some of that um, dissatisfaction with how the process was going just because it seemed imminent that Poindexter was going to be the head coach and then it seemed imminent that Elliot was going to be the head coach and then all of a sudden Elliot fell apart and and you know Dex fell apart and so you know it it sort of seemed like all of a sudden we were going to be grasping at straws and oh my god is Robert and I going to be the head coach um I was not having but you know there was just there was just sort of I, I think that this um like that, you know, I, I can rant about, you know, a 24 hour news cycle and everything like that. But I do think that like, you know, the world as it is today with social media and all of that and the desire to break the story and break the news probably led to or resulted in much of the frustration when really I don't think that you can be dissatisfied with the process that sort of came from, you know, and, and the result as well. Like, you know, right. they got a guy that um you know you, you can't necessarily criticize the hire of Elliot at this moment in time you're not you know a couple years down the line okay but but right now I think that you have to be happy with what they got considering the position that they were in it yeah. wasn't like I mean Carla even said with the with the Bronco process she was not aware like they were talking on Sunday Monday Tuesday of that week that like Bronco was considering it and she said that she thought that they were like you know walking in the same direction indicating that she thought that Bronco was coming back and then Wednesday hit 
and Bronco said, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm out. Um, and so considering how sudden that was, because it wasn't like they had, you know, a preparation or even knowledge that they were going to have to stage this searching coach or this coach coaching search. Um, yeah, yeah. It, it's, I think you have to be with happy with how to play now. Yeah, and, definitely. You know, Ellie, I mean, on the paper, he's got to be one of the top right. available guys. And, and the only reason I think that's not the immediate assumption from everybody is because of the down year Clemson had but Yeah, even a season ago, definitely two seasons ago. I mean, he was being thrown around for the best openings in the country. You could right. argue UVA is one of the best openings in the country uh, in, in a certain number of ways. Now they're not the best football program with the opening, obviously, um, you know, Oklahoma, right. USC, uh, well now Notre Dame, but they filled it, you know, they're not that level of football program, but as far as a situation to go into, you'd, I think most people would rather have the UVA job than the Miami job. You know, right. um, if, if yeah, money is similar, at least, you know, but anyway, uh, that's not really important. I think what's important is that on paper, his his resume seems like a great fit. And it's by, it seems to be backed up by the story that, that, that he's bringing and all the personal qualities that we seem to be already seeing backed up by his interview but also notes from right. you know the people who feel this way and i don't know how you can't be happy with it even considering poindexter and and they agree you yeah. don't know exactly what went wrong with poindexter i will say this i'm not a reporter i'm not claiming sources i'm not claiming that this is the truth but this is my podcast where i talk about things <laughs> i have at least heard it from things that aren't certain 247 message board threads or posters so it's not recycled from that was happening a lot with this college search is someone would read someone's guess and run with it as like oh i heard this too and and so you had eight different people saying bronco quit because uh you know they told him he had to fire uh staff and he didn't want to and it's like, right. oh, well, no one's actually corroborating that with anything. So if right. one person posts on Twitter or message board, then we all heard it somewhere, but it doesn't make it, you know, right. true. Uh, anyway, my, my, I'm getting at is I'm hearing it from elsewhere that the Poindexter botching interview has weight to it. Um Mm. And, you know, leaving it at that because I don't know any details and I love Anthony Poindexter, but I think it at least to whatever grain of truth there is to this idea that UVA backed away a little, even if that's true, even if it's UVA backed away from Dex, Mm -hmm. it doesn't make it wrong. It doesn't make it bad. It could make us unhappy as fans because we would love to see, you know, we love Poindexter and and would hope for the best case scenario for him and, and be, you know, and the excitement that we would bring to the program. But if the people who are in the room to make this decision and whose job it is to make these decisions find right. reason to go in a different direction, 
I'm not saying you blindly trust them, but it's certainly yeah. plausible that it was the right call that, that these professionals right. who, who professionally hire and, 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 and employ coaches may know better about the details of what went on in these conversations. And maybe right. it is, maybe it is Dex walked away too, or maybe a combination of both. We don't necessarily know and probably won't really find out, but I think uh, there was a lot of emotional, um, frustration which is it, it's again fine to be frustrated and to be sad or, or upset that the poindexter wasn't the guy because of our emotions attached to anthony poindexter but that is all rambling to say this this very easily could be the better direction for the football program and i think right. people are reacting that way you know however many days later after the dex is uh not the candidate or dex is staying at penn state news broke i guess you know three or four days ago yeah i mean i i think that yeah it, it's it's hard to you know it's hard to predict the future and i think that you know <laughs> in, in that sense um you know, Dex, yeah, Dex is a, you know, a hero of UVA football. And I say that as someone who's 18 and, and, and never watched him play and has no real knowledge and, and, and barely even remembers the days that he was a, a coach at Virginia, you know, but, 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 you know, I think as Dex said in, in some statement, like the time will come, but it's not right now. Very well um, and I yeah. think, right, right. And, um, you know, whether that's head coach, defensive coordinator, whatever it is, you know, you know, the, the, the time for Dex, I feel like, just with the desire for him to be here um, will come. And, and I think that, I think that if there's anything that could be potentially disappointing about not bringing Dex in, it's just the money. Right. And I think not, you know, just in a tangible aspect of comparing Elliot versus Dex, not that that's really the, what, what we should be doing here, but just, you know, that Dex was going to bring the donors and bring those facilities soon. Yeah, um yeah. I'm not saying that Elliot can't, but I'm saying that there's going to have to be tangible There's going to have to be success and proven potential. I, that's my suspicion. I could be way off and there could be a major announcement right. tomorrow. Um, but you know, there, there's going to have to be more of sort of an established levels, level of success rather than that expectation that right or wrong would have come with Dex just because of who he is. Um, right. you know, that, that's all speculation. And that's not me saying I know anything, but um, you know, there was that sort of understanding. Um, it's an exciting you know, with opportunity that to see Elliot potentially build a staff or, or you know, build a program that exactly. still brings in some UVA love and some energy to it. Right, right. And, and I think that, you know, that's actually one thing that he addressed in the pressure that I didn't mention is that he's, you know, he's definitely not, um, he's aware of the staff that, that that UVA already has. And I think that he said that he's talking with them um, he's not making any decisions right now out of just respect to the fact that they still have a bowl game to play, that he hasn't reached any agreements or anything along those lines, but that he's talked to, I believe he said, like he talked to a few people. Obviously, I think if we're going to infer, that's probably a, along the lines of Higgins, Beck, 2J. Um, but, you know, it, ideally, and I think that there is a very strong desire to bring some of those guys in to maintain um, that, you know, sort of, feel of the Bronco years while also just admitting the fact that those guys had tremendous success mm-hmm. um, and, and that then that could help with jumping into recruiting, right? If you know 
you know, the pull that Hagens has, the pull that Tuje has, um, you know, and, and the success that the Beck has had, you know, obviously with with Brennan and Bryce and, and Ben Kurt. Um, it's not just hard would strings. Be, it also seems like the smart business decision. Right, yeah. exactly. And not to say that if Elliot brings somebody in from Clemson, from, you know, you know, he has connections, not to say that if he does that, that's the wrong move. But I think that, you know, bringing in some of those or, or, or keeping people around um, could be, you know, something that, that, that jump starts. It means that we're not having a two and 10 year. Right. Mm-hmm. And not that that's like the, the ultimate goal is to have that good first year, but like, let's be honest, everybody, everybody wants Brennan back next year. Mm-hmm. Everybody like, you know, you're out of your mind. If you say that you don't care if Brennan comes back next year or not, is it going to be, is it going to determine the, the long-term future of the program? No, but like, come on, you, you got to Like you got to want to have Brennan Armstrong back in New Jersey next year. And you know, what, is going to make that happen is probably Jason Beck coming back. But, you know, not to say that you should make staff hires off of players who are going to be around for another year. Um, but, you know, there is there's reason to to look into bringing some of that staff back. And, and you know, we'll see what happens there. I, I'm sure there's still plenty to happen and plenty of time, um, you know, that, that, that Elliot will take before making those decisions. Yeah, yeah, it's... Uh it's going to be a few weeks, you know, if he says it's going to be until not going to be until after the, uh, the bowl game, um, the bowl game's weird and not the, because it's a football stadium and a brand new bowl. Also, is it wasabi Fenway bowl just like brought to you by the condiment wasabi, or is this like some tech company named wasabi that has a bowl game? That's I really something. hope that it's the condiment wasabi. You know what I mean? Like it's like the got milk bowl or something just built by <laughs> brought to you by the milk Duke's farmers Mayo. of America yeah. or whatever. Or yeah, or, you know, but not even Duke's mayonnaise. It would just be wasabi te- wasabi you. technologies. Wasabi it technology. is a tech company. Oh, yeah, tech company. oh so lame. terrible. Yeah. Well, anyway, it's weird because it is like this last hurrah for a coach that's right quit on you and like i know i said this last episode like there's got to there's going to be more stuff there and and if it's anything along the lines of his you know Broncos physical or mental health that's making him step away i don't know if it is or not but it seems like a likely scenario he needs to do his best for him and his health right mental or physical so right. put that as the frame of reference to say that it is as a fan outside of that frame of reference. Still, I think uh, frustrating and annoying and ang- you know uh, anger-inducing right. that that he he talked about building a family and building this program, and then it, like abruptly walked away from it. So I'm going to be a little salty. Right when we thought that right right when we thought right. that we were sort of that foundation had been built. I mean, and there was if, if they pull off the Virginia Tech win. And, and I'm not saying they're related and he's sticking around, right? There's no resignation. Think of where we right. are as a program and that, and where we are now. Like, yeah, it's exciting to have this, this hopefully high profile or hopefully successful coach coming in. And it doesn't mean that the momentum can't be regained, but right. they're, they're one play from being in a very very different world one play and of course this decision and they might be unrelated or probably unrelated um for being in a very very different point of view for for where this football program is so you know we've got more question marks than we started with in a season where we thought this was going to be like the defining 
you know, right. where where has this program been built to? And that it's sort of incomplete. So anyway, yeah, it's it, weird to me that they're going to like stick around for a few more months coaching. I don't know. I, they seem, you know, I think Bronco has integrity. So we'll spend that time working really hard uh, to coach and, and keep, you know, right. these players that I'm sure he does love, you know, in the best position mm-hmm. going forward as possible. But um, it's just an odd, odd situation. It really is. And it's, it's not like, bronco was canned so it's it's kind of like it's just like a weird sort of like you have this you know coach in waiting while you also have this coach who built the program to what it is today whatever your opinion on what it is but like he this is bronco's program you know what i mean like you know everything about this program screams bronco and it's just kind of like to i mean to have this press conference while preparing for a bowl game for a coach who's had a good amount of success here. It just, there's nothing, there's nothing like, I think I said this last time, there's nothing satisfactory about that. There's nothing that's sort of like, and and, you know, Elliot spoke to the team and then like emphasized the importance that they, I mean, not that he said this exactly, but like keep listening to Bronco for this bowl game. You know what I mean? Like, like finish the year. And I think that that's obviously the right thing to say, but it's also just kind of like, this can't even be Elliot's team yet. You know, it's like, you know, for him, think about the position he's in. It's like, I don't even know. I can't, you know, it it just, it's just odd. And evaluate. And then you're like, I wonder what he's looking for and how that would potentially differ from, uh, you know, what if Elliot runs a scheme? I know it's not the case because he had Deshaun Watson, but what if he runs a scheme that's like, where we don't want the quarterback to run at all you know and I, again that's not the case but just as an example what if he's looking for the completely different type of quarterback you know what i mean then you're looking at yeah, right. i guess half of them have left or 80 percent of them have left anyway i don't know rodriguez and armstead so we only have uh armstrong right. who also might be leaving and uh wolf Oak left but um I don't know. I don't know. It's, it's weird, but it's, it's still exciting uh, to have a coach who, who um, from all intents and purposes seems uh, entirely capable. And so I look forward to seeing how the staff fleshes out. I look forward to uh, getting more clarity on what that type of system or or thing we can think of, uh, you know, as, as far as design goes for this program. Um, A lot of that may be tied in of course, to what coaches come in thereafter quick note you know that we've got uh, early signing day for the recruits coming up on wednesday um there's a handful who are locked in after meeting with coach elliot last night over zoom uh, we're all over social media uh you know putting uh, emojis uh, declaring their their situations uh, uh looks like they might lose um a handful of in-state guys uh two to the Hokies. Maybe our favorite kicker recruiter might be, he said he's going to announce something uh, maybe tomorrow, Wednesday, I forget. So anyway, you know, you can lose some recruits when you uh, change coaches, but it's a weird year to lose these recruits because of these more flexible transfer rules. I think it's going to be very interesting to see who coach Ellie brings in to the program across all four classes you know, and grad student uh, transfers coming in. There's there's a lot of people out there looking for a new program to join. So I would not put too much weight on who decides to come and not come from a recruiting class that, let's be honest, 
wasn't anything to write home about <laughs> anyway. I mean, I'm, I think the guys that come in were good, or, you know, they seem to recruit to good fits, but it's not like we're losing Zach Rice, right? Like, yeah, I was about to say, already right. decided yeah, no. not to come here. So, um, no, I don't yeah. mean to hate on any of the guys who are coming. I think it's, it's again, if you were recruited by Bronco to be here in this program, you're probably a great fit for the program. And, uh, you know, I'm just saying, the there's no one in this class no matter what even if it was Zach Rice you wouldn't be you shouldn't be fretting over even losing a five-star in a coaching change because a coaching right. change brings on so much more than just you know the potential of one guy even if they turn into an yeah. American so don't fret too much people out there who might be fretting about the recruiting class because there's a lot of potential uh, to fill in those holes that they might miss uh, in the coming months well Zach should should we bring everybody down and talk about basketball? Yeah, I mean, with with how up and down the football program is, you know, we we still have basketball, right? We still have that cross season, right? We're still getting yeah. lacrosse, right? Hopefully. <laughs> I mean, listen, inside lacrosse did just name Griffin Schutz to be shoots to be the uh, top in, incoming freshman. Uh, wow. So, yeah, three P. Um, but anyway, moving on to darker subject so no one who's listening doesn't know that the basketball team lost to james madison uh, in a game that i think my most amusing takeaway was all the focus on how um, bad virginia was shooting uh it was amusing obviously it was frustrating but i say it was amusing because it was predictable and also because James Madison was also really bad at shooting. Virginia is one for 14 from three. This is unbelievable. It's like, well, they're only in it because James Madison is one for 11. Like like what? What an amazing display. Both teams ended up hitting four three-pointers on the night. But the deciding factor is that UVA shot 26 and James Madison shot 13. Like if if UVA had shot the same percentage, if they had shot 30% from three instead of 15%, uh, then they would have won uh, pretty comfortably. But instead, they didn't. And so they lost. Kihei did everything he could. to, to get the who's a victory, including shooting three for nine, which isn't, you know, going to win him any awards, but is if the whole team had shot three percent again, uh, right. it, it brought up the average. Um, I, I appreciated Reese taking the open looks and he hit one of them. I think that's important. I think we all know it's important um, that he yeah. can you know, show some, like, make the defense know that he is capable of, of making that three. Um, yeah. Franklin, of course, his struggles continued. Um, you know, it's not all on Armand. Like, that, that's not why this team is losing games, but it certainly doesn't help. Um, they just look like a team that's really struggling to find depth. Uh, so when they get going at, in spurts, they don't sustain, you know, that, that type of momentum. I thought they, they started the game a little rough, but looked like they started the game in control at least. And then let JMU get all the energy and excitement, not only come back, but then build a, a lead where UVA looked, couldn't throw in the ocean. Um, and then in the second half, you know, we're sort of back and forth with looking like a team that could, potentially pull out a disappointing win you know what i mean 
uh, and instead they finish with a disappointing loss after, um, well, Franklin missed a three that would have made it, what, a five-point game, and um, then JMU finished out uh, the scoring after that. So, again, it's not all Franklin, but, you know, it's not unfair to talk about him and that he's had yeah. a couple good games and the rest have been um, really, really disappointing shooting performance. I'll, I'll phrase all this, too. Um I know everybody's upset with all the shooting, including his and everybody on the team. The one takeaway from Franklin's game that you can easily make outside of the shooting is he hustles his ass off. Um, and, yeah. and so I'll give him credit for that. He's, he's trying to make plays outside of the shooting and not letting that impact him. And the rest of them are up and down across the board too. Like even, you know, we see Tane Murray come in and look like a godsend we see a few flashes of igor who looks like the best scorer next to gardner on the team we see gardner with the potential to take over but get yanked for very obvious reasons uh, you know in late game moments in other matchups everyone is really really up and down um kihei you know easily the most consistent and easily the most reliable still has head scratching moments every game too so i mean yeah, it's, uh, it's it's a lot of growing pains every game that we knew were going to come, but I don't think anyone expected the growing pains to be this degree. I mean, you're following up a, a, a heartbreaking comeback against Iowa where you're getting boat raced early because you were playing bad, showed some heart right. to come back. Pitt, I mean, Pitt might be the worst team in the ACC, and they looked better than Virginia when they were playing them in the JPJ. Um, but you win yeah. a, a, a lovely uh, bounce from a, a Gardner shot following a great play that he made earlier too. And then you lose to a not very good JMU team on the road to hustle, but whatever, come on. Yeah. It's cool that we play these games and you're going to lose them somewhere. If, if this, if it wasn't a continuation of all the other reasons we're frustrated, then this game really wouldn't be that big of a deal. But because it's a continuation yeah. of these easy to point at frustrations, it makes you very, very worried for ACC play other than the fact that the rest of the ACC is apparently terrible too. So I'll stop talking at you, Zach. <laughs> let you chime in a little bit i don't know what else there is to say i see it in your face like what else yeah what are you gonna do there's the offense is genuinely a question mark and it's you know pete gillen was on the call for the jamie game and, and that was my first real introduction to pete gillen and at first i was kind of like good lord they just got like dick vital light here um but you know, he kept saying, throw the ball in the post. Right. And I don't disagree with him. The uh-huh. problem was that JMU was sending a double before Gardner or Shedrick caught the ball. And it's like, okay, what do you do out of the double? You move the ball. And while I think that Gardner and Shedrick are honestly both capable passers out of the post, there's like one guy on the perimeter that you could reasonably expect to hit shots. And that's Kihei Clark, the guy who everyone bemoaned for three years of not being able to really shoot the ball very well for a guard. Mm -hmm. And to his credit, he's shooting 40% from the year or from three for the year, 40.9% despite going three for nine in this game. But I just, I, I, I don't know what else you do. I was looking for a big jump from Reese offensively, and I don't mean, you know, to become a 40% three-point shooter, but 
the guy can't hit a shot that isn't a layup. He can't. He doesn't have a floater. He doesn't have anything in the mid-range. And I love Reese. He's a great defensive player. He has a great mind for an offensive player. And some of this is about who he's surrounded by in the sense that he would need an offense a la last year where you can spread it with four right, right. and then if let him Hauser do his work. And uh, Trey. On and Trey. Yeah. Right. Right. And you have Walter Tensai in the corner. And obviously he just wasn't quite ready last season. So some of it is that, but some of it is just like, you don't have to make threes to be an effective point guard, but you have to be able to score that isn't at the rim. And because he can get by guys, but then when the help comes, like he can't shoot over anyone. And I don't mean to harp on Reese. I'm just saying like there were, Things that had to happen for this team to be genuinely good, i.e. like contending in the ACC. Reese was going to have to make a big jump offensively. Armand Franklin was going to have to be the shooter and the scorer and just overall that big guard presence that we reasonably could have expected him to be. Caden Shedrick was going to have to make a jump. And I think that he has. The foul trouble stinks, but I think that you can – He's had up and down moments, but I think that for a guy who barely played before this year, you have to be happy with Caden. Mm -hmm. Kihei was going to have to be better, also take a step back, which he has, and Jane Gardner was going to be dominant. Shedrick's taken a step up. Kihei's been better. Gardner's been very good, but against, I wouldn't say that he's been outright dominant. He's the team's highest scorer, and I don't mean to criticize the guy, but he's not, you know he's not a premier ACC player, right? He's not that, that dominant, dominant guy. And that's okay. But it's not when all of a sudden you have two guys in the backcourt who are basically holes. Like he can't be your Franklin can get to the rim. Right. Right. Franklin and Reese can get to the rim, but it's just like, that's not what guard play is in this generation of basketball. And I, I love what they bring to the floor, bring to the table, um, defensively and they're both hustlers and I don't mean to to, to criticize them um too harshly but you, you just you you scratch your head and and, and some of this is just you know it, it it's just a it's a team that does lack some of that experience they don't have someone who's necessarily been there and done that at the highest level like even last year Sam Hauser was kind of that guy where you're like this guy has has had you know He's he's played in big time offenses on big time stages, um, and then you know you mentioned Igor and Tane. They're showing flashes, but honestly, I don't think you can ask for much more than them. You know, Tane was zero for four from three, which is like brutal. But it's also like okay, it's his like second road game, the second road game of his career. It's a new stadium. It's probably the sight lines are probably weird as a shooter. I don't know, like you know. I, I give Tane a little bit more leeway than I do other guys. And they're just, it's just tough just because guys haven't quite performed to that level that they needed to, to really make this team good. And then additionally, all those growing pains of this being a new team have just, just things that have snowballed. And, and I think that this team is not beyond help. It's not hopeless, but this team has one hell of an up hill battle to get into the NCAA tournament um, yeah. just with the losses that they have and the wins that they've had the opportunity, or at least, I mean, even against Houston, you lose by 20, you lose by five. I know that the committee doesn't necessarily take like margin into account, but just showing something and, yeah. and they haven't again, unless you count that like Iowa game and I guess Providence would be your, probably the two best performances they've had all season. Yeah. Um, but other than that, you just kind of like, 
I don't know. I don't know. And, and there's going to have to be, and, and it's not even like I'm rambling now, but in Tony Bennett teams in the past that he's turned around, there's always been like that shining light that you know that they can count on. In 2019, 2020, it was the defense. Last year, it was just the fact that they had shooters. And I think that the defense is sound this year. But then when your best offensive player is your weakest link defensively, so not to be an eternal pessimist, and I, I think that this team still has potential to be decent in ACC play, um, but there's just the, the signs aren't there. There isn't that sort of one thing that they can count on. Um, and and it's just hard to sort of see that path towards a resurgence. Not saying it's not going to happen, not saying that I don't have tons of belief in Tony Bennett to do so. It's just it, it's hard to look at this team and really see um, an expectation that, that that's going to happen. It's a down year. It's a down year. No need to panic. The program's fine. <laughs> but I'm just saying that for this team, there's not a lot of um, I, I don't see something that's really going to draw them out of this sort of rough patch. Yeah, you would hope that they could coalesce around defense, but it just hasn't been all that good. I mean, it hasn't been bad. Um you right. know, you look at Ken Palm adjusted, they're 48th. You know, usually they're first or second. Virginia Tech's 34th. You know, Virginia Tech looks like trash. <laughs> you know, so it's a uh, it's a lot of work in progress, and the only the, the 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 you're there, like you don't have any more time to be a work in progress. So we'll see. Right. Um, doesn't mean that they can't make more of a jump and and be a better team. Um, throughout ACC play but it's a big question mark a big ask and a lot of growing pains to go through so uh stay tuned I suppose till after the exam break I believe they come back with Fairleigh Dickinson who is winless so uh let's go ahead and on the 18th but they've got Clemson uh just a few days after that to uh get back into ACC play um we'll see we'll see hopefully Armand's shots start start falling hopefully Caden shots start falling i feel like he hit one where i was like all right the little hook shot went in this time like let, let, yeah, let's get right. some more um but again it's not on either of those guys individually it's all of them are sort of suffering from the same the same uh, repeated yeah. issues there so uh, we'll be back soon to talk more uh, probably about staff ideas for the football team um, that Farley Dickinson game is only five days away, so we can cover it uh, next week. Um, and uh, pro- I think we've got some some interesting uh, other basketball things to talk about coming up too. So until uh, that next episode, everybody uh, have a great, safe travels around the holiday season, and uh, stay tuned to the blog for more updates on Coach Elliott and the things going on with the football program. Uh, for Zach, uh, my name's Pierce, and it's- Stay tuned to streakingalon.com. Go Hoos. 